theme that God has laid on my heart is the miracles on Melita. The miracles on Melita. We left our group of 276 people last week floating toward an island, and the last verse of chapter 27 says that they escaped all safe to land. It was a promise that God had made to Paul. It was a promise that Paul had said to the people, even on the boat, he said, we're going to make it. Uh, however, the ship's not going to fare too well. And of course, uh, people, some of the people floated to the island on boards and some on uh, uh, sticks and other things that were mentioned there, but they all made it alive. Some could swim. And uh, this is where now we find them. We find them on this island. We have, a, we have our map, I think, today, Brother Joey. And we'll put that map back up, please. And uh, again, it gives us an idea of what's happening and where they're at. And so now we see this little dot just to the south of Sicily. This is where they are. It's now called Malta. I think most of you might be aware of that. Uh, and so this is where they're at. And they're going to be here for several months, as we're going to see. And then next week, God willing, we'll finally get them all the way up the coast of Italy there to Rome. We can leave that map up for just a little bit. You can see that uh, exactly where they are. Uh, again, as we said at the end of chapter 44, uh, excuse me, at the end of chapter 27, verse 44, uh, God had provided miracles there. Look, look back, if you will, at chapter 27 uh, and uh, verse uh, 22. Uh, just so you see here the, the verses that we've alluded to even a moment ago. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer, Paul said, for there shall be no loss of any man's life. So now here they are, they're all on the Isle of Melita or Malta, and exactly what Paul has said has come true. They have escaped death. They've all made it, all 276 of them. And then in verse 26 of that same chapter, uh, Paul said, Howbeit, we must be cast upon a certain island. A certain island, of course, is where we're at today in chapter 28 in verse 1, Melita. It's taken quite a journey for Paul to get to this point, not just on this ship that left, uh, uh, that left last week from, from Caesarea, but uh, just getting him to this point. The journey has been uh, one challenge after another. Imprisonment, standing before the magistrate, standing before the religious leaders. His life has been threatened time and time again. I mean, he has been through uh, so much. And yet now we are, whether, I don't know if he realizes it, but he knows that God is a man of his, God is a God of his word, and uh, God keeps his promises. We know, because we have the Bible, that he's just a few short months now from reaching the destination that God has him to. And what I have, what I have been helped with in, in reading through and studying this is, as I said just a moment ago, the title that God laid on my heart, is the miracles on Melita. Let's take a look at our text today and look at, point out several things that we find here, and I trust that it'll be an encouragement and a, and a help to you. Number one, we see that God had some helpful pagans. So we see the helpful pagans. God had some people that were there ready to prepare uh, help and encouragement and welcome them to this island. Look at verse number 1 and 2. And when they were escaped, they knew that the island was called Melita and the barbarous people. Now, we look at that word and we might think, you know, these were, you know, uh, 
headhunters or whatever. The reason why they called them barbarous is because they couldn't speak Greek. So this had nothing to do with the fact, when we think of the word barbarous, you know, I think of, you know, anyway, I think of a lot of different things, but I think you get the idea. But this was simply because they couldn't speak the language. And so that's what they referred to them as. Doesn't mean they were savages, okay? That maybe is a word that comes to mind, all right? But uh, verse number two, and the barbarous people showed us no little kindness. Okay, what that means is they showed us much kindness. They didn't just show us a little bit. They didn't just help us a little bit. They helped us a lot. It doesn't mean that they were believers, but here are these pagan people on this island, and God even uses them to prepare something for these 276 visitors that have just arrived. In fact, they received them as if they're family. They received them as if they are their friends. And it says here, uh, they received us, everyone. Look at that. They received them all. Why did they receive them all? Two words stand out to me. Rain and cold. Rain and cold, right there, verse number two. Because of the present rain and because of the cold. I see an example here in these pagans. I see an example of compassion and hospitality. Compassion and hospitality. And I'll tell you this morning as I read it over and over again, it's very challenging. Very challenging to me. Am I, do I have this spirit of compassion when somebody comes into the church, when somebody comes into my life, when I meet somebody, uh, when I come across somebody, whether they're a stranger or someone that I know, these people, they didn't know them from Adam's house cat, as we say. They had no idea who they were. And yet there was a level of compassion and a level of tenderness to these people that were in need. We meet people all the time that are in need, and it was very challenging. I might say we can learn much from these barbarous people that God would raise up in you and raise up in me uh, in a greater way. I'm not saying we're not compassionate people and we're not kind people, but uh, here's a group of strangers that shows up on an island, and they are ready for them, the helpful pagans. I'd like to remind you this morning of, a, of, of, it, of the least suspecting individual to show kindness to someone in Luke's Gospel. Let's go over there quickly. Hold your finger there. You're, you're familiar, I'm sure, with this wonderful parable in Luke's Gospel, chapter number 10. The most unsuspecting one to help, a beat-up traveler. Jesus talks about in Luke chapter number 10. The parable that we find here is of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan. And it kind of reminds me of, this is the, the, the text of Acts 28, it reminded me of the Good Samaritan. And the, these barbarous people, I guess, maybe for me in thinking it through, uh, had, uh, uh, may have, it may have been out of character or whatever. I'm just saying... This is where the Lord brought me. In verse 30, And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. By chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He, he saw a, a man who was uh, greatly beaten to the point of death. And this religious individual does nothing. Again, this isn't a message about the Good Samaritan. 
32. And likewise, a Levite. Oh, he'll know better, won't he? When he was at the place, came and looked on him. Passed by on the other side. Here comes the most unlikely person to offer help. Here comes the half-breed. Here comes the one who no one liked. Here comes the one who was ostracized. Here comes the barbarous man, if you will. The Samaritan. As he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, notice this word, the Lord Jesus, it says of the Lord Jesus that when he saw the multitudes that did not have a shepherd, that's what he had on them. It's that word compassion. And when that Samaritan who, who more than likely is going to be helping someone who may not even like him at all. It's a parable, right? More than likely, though, he's helping someone who doesn't even like him. It's probably a Jew in this. I mean, again, it's hypothetical, but think about it. He's, he sees him and he sees that he's bleeding and bruised and battered and he's you know, maybe moments away from death. But anyway, he's in a really bad shape. And these religious men that were ahead of him, they had no compassion on him. And yet the Samaritan saw him and had compassion on him. And I noticed some things that the Bible says he went to him. And he bound up his wounds and he poured in oil and wine and put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence He cared for him and he covered the cost for him. He gave them to the host and said, take him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come, I will repay thee. It's a a continual compassion. I'm just saying this morning that may God help us like the Good Samaritan and may God help us like even these pagan people, quite frankly, in Acts 28. May we be a church that's filled with compassion. The Samaritan and the barbarians may have had a lot in common. One thing they had in common, compassion. Compassion for people in need. Do we not all know of someone in need? I'm sure we do. And I'm not necessarily always speaking about the physical need, but there's a great need. So we see, number one, helpful pagans. Number two, we see the humility of the Apostle Paul in these verses. The humility of the Apostle Paul. Here is the great, the Apostle Paul. He's he's not uh, a new Christian anymore. He's... He's been serving the Lord. He's been on three missionary journeys. He's an esteemed man, I'm sure. He has a message. His life is not going to last much longer, though. He's going to lose his life in Rome. But he has fought a good fight. He's finishing his course. And now what's he doing? Gathering sticks for the fire. Why Paul? Because this is Paul. He's humble. He's not living up here and everybody else down here. Look at verse number 3. And when Paul had gathered a bunch of sticks, what a great testimony. I would think by now Paul has assumed some sort, he's not the captain of the ship, but even on that ship as a prisoner, they recognize this guy knows something. This guy doesn't just know something, this guy knows someone. Everything he has said has happened. He promised that we would all make it alive and knowing the hurricane, remember they were in hurricane-type winds, the Eurocliden, 
And knowing what they had gone through, they probably thought, that guy's off his rocker. He has no idea what he's talking about. We're all dead meat. And now here they are all on the island. Yeah, they're wet and they're cold, but now they've made it. I, I think probably the, the view of Paul has risen over the journey on this boat. But here's Paul gathering sticks. Leadership always requires humility. We might call him the greatest missionary. Today, he's a stick gatherer. We might call him uh, the penman of two-thirds of the New Testament, and he was. But today in our text, he's just gathering sticks for a fire. I submit to you, there's there's nothing insignificant that we can do in the name of Jesus Christ. It might be a cup of cold water, as the Lord said, or it might be some sticks on the fire. If we're serving the Lord, it's all valuable for his honor and glory. It's all valuable. Paul was not afraid of work. Paul was not afraid of serving others. Turn to Matthew 23, please. Matthew chapter 23. The humility of the Apostle Paul. Oh, may God help me to have more humility in my life. May God help us to humble ourselves. Because God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Humility, I mean the great Apostle Paul. 275 other people. Surely somebody else could have went and got sticks. But in the inspiration of the Bible, God sees fit to let us know this menial task, but not a menial task, because we're talking about it thousands of years later and saying, how about we go gather some sticks today for the Lord? How about we do something that, as the Apostle Paul, notice, if you will, as Jesus is speaking, In Matthew chapter 23, great reminder to us today in verse number 11. Matthew 23 and verse number 11. But he that is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. That word abased means to be brought down low. But whosoever, but he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. Let's keep in mind the clientele. Let's keep in mind the um, people that are listening to him in this text right here. The scribes and the Pharisees. And he calls them in the next verse, hypocrites. It's not about your position. It's not about your title. It's not about being in charge. It's about being a servant. It's about being humble. And Paul is a great example of someone with yet great a pedigree and so forth. And even before he got saved and all the teaching and learning that he had, and yet he humbles himself. And may God help us to realize again, I say it again, that there isn't anything menial when it comes to the name of doing it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It all has great value. We see the help of the pagans. We see the humility of Paul, but... Unfortunately, number three, we see the hold of a viper. The hold of a viper. And all of a sudden, of course, this viper is a little bit uh, bothered by the heat. Maybe it was under the rock. Maybe it was uh, in a place where it was staying out of the rain. But now all of a sudden, it's getting a little bit too warm. And the Bible says that Paul laid those sticks on the fire and they're there came a viper, verse 3, out of the heat and fastened on his hand. In the midst of trying to add fuel to the fire, if you will, Paul is bit by a viper. And not just any viper, a, 
a very poisonous viper. And you say, how do you know it was a poisonous one? Because later on in the passage, it said that they thought he should be dead by now, and he wasn't. Well, that wouldn't be a garter snake. I've been scared by enough of those, and they wouldn't kill anybody, I don't think. So a viper, a poisonous one, no le- no, 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 nonetheless. Think about this now as we consider the hold of a viper. Paul is right where God wanted him to be. You might say that Paul is in the will of God, right? Paul is even humbly serving in the midst of a tragedy. I mean, the boat is somewhere floating around in the sea. You know, there's a few chunks on the island, there's a few chunks on the shore, but nothing left of it. And Paul is serving and he's thinking of others and he's gathering the sticks and, I mean, you know, he's, he's humbling himself and he's serving and he's... Uh, being being kind, and then all of a sudden, I mean, he's where he's supposed to be. I, I like it. I think of this. He's where he's supposed to be, doing what he's supposed to be doing. But he's still not immune to that old snake, is he? The viper. You might think of just a viper, a literal viper, and I do, but I cannot help but think about another snake. Adam and Eve, they were where they were supposed to be, and They were doing what they were supposed to be doing, but along came that snake, Lucifer. And he's continued to hiss his way through life, and he's continued to fasten on to people, the people of God, and try to, as a roaring lion in the New Testament, it tells us, but in thinking about this snake... um, what did Paul, as I, and so we have that in mind, that even though I'm where I'm at, doing what I'm doing, being what I'm being, it doesn't mean that the enemy is going to just bypass us and say, okay, I'm going to go find somebody else. No, here, here is the enemy, but it's an opportunity as well to see miracles. The stronger the bite, the greater the miracle. Here we see something happen, but before that, what Paul did not do. Think about this. What Paul did not do. Again, we don't have maybe everything that happened in the play-by-play, but as far as we know, Paul didn't let it bother him. Nowhere in the Bible do we read that in any way that Paul got bent out of shape. Nowhere in the Bible do we read uh, that Paul uh, had, a, had a breakdown. I mean, I'm not saying we, we can't be, be, you know, have a, a difficulties when, the, when Satan comes after us, but it, and we will. I, I'm not criticizing that, but I'm just saying this is what he did not do. He did not scream, why, God, I can't take care of this anymore. I've been in prison for years, and I've... No. I mean, we don't see that. It just says that he... It just says that he shook it off. We'll talk about that in a minute. Paul didn't look at those sitting by the fire and criticize them for not helping. In spite of his help, we are not immune as serving the Lord. I have this thought. We are not immune when serving the Lord to the bite of the enemy. When that that happens, may God help us to have a calmness of heart. To know that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the enemy's going to bite. The enemy's going to attack. The enemy's going to growl, roar, if you will, as a lion. But I don't need to worry. I don't need to fret. In fact, worrying is a sin. 
that I have committed more than I care to admit. I have to get forgiveness for that. Be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Paul has, at least from what we can see, Paul has the confidence of someone who knows that God is in control and he's not at Rome yet, so God has a plan in this too. God's proven himself time and time again. We can have calmness inside our heart even when the snake comes, even when the lion comes. We can have calmness inside our heart knowing that God is continuously working together for our good. The helpful pagans, the humility of the Apostle Paul, the hold of the viper. But number four, we see uh, that not only was it, a, it, it was, a, it was a, a venomous viper, but we see number four, in this case, the harmless viper. The harmless viper. And he shook off the beast into the fire and felt no harm. Goodness. I just want to point out verse 4, though, if you'll look back up at verse 4, that even these pagan people had a concept of right and wrong. Look what it says. No doubt this man is a murderer. They could have come up with any other thing, right? Again, this is the word of God, so we're not, but I'm just saying, whom though hath he, whom though he hath escaped the sea, though he hath escaped the sea, sorry, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Notice, these are not Christians. These are not born-again believers. We could say these are pagan people, and yet they have, you know why? Because of what the book of Romans says. They have written on their heart the knowledge of God, and they even know that something, this guy must have done something to have this viper. I mean, he escaped the Eurocliden storm. Nobody escapes that. And now he escaped that. He got to land. And good night, wouldn't you know it? Within moments, here's a snake hanging on his hand. They even recognized the concept of right and wrong. But the Bible says here, no harm. I've, I've I put a box around those two words. I, I just meditate on that. And think about that. No harm. You know why? Because no harm can come to us. As Christians, no harm can come to us that hasn't gone through the hands of our loving Heavenly Father. I don't know. I'm guessing no harm means it didn't even hurt. Wow, you know, to have a viper stuck on your hand or your arm, it didn't even hurt. God, God only allows things into my life not to harm me. Think about that. Maybe that's another way of going about it. God doesn't bring something into our life to, to refine us and to, to, um, uh, to, uh, to remake us in a way of harming. That's not how God treats his family. You know, God does everything from what? Love. No harm. It even says that in verse number 6, there was no harm. Paul, still breathing after he already should have died. I would think that this was not the first person they saw get bit by a viper. So they had a past experience of, you know, poor Bob down the road. Bob down the road, he got bit by a viper, and he was gone in a minute or two. You know, sorry, Bob. But here's Paul. I mean, we, we know, we know. This is, we saw it happen last month. Got to watch out for these. They're poisonous. 
And here's Paul. He's still standing there. Nothing's happened to him. So he went from being a murderer to being a god in their eyes. Small g. Which, by the way, he had already been, a, he had already been labeled as a god in previous, the previous book of Acts as he did miracles and things as well that God allowed him to do. Instead, Paul just carried on as he had already been promised by the angel that he would make it to Rome. Here's why the, var- the viper was harmless, because God had future plans for Paul. He was able to shake off the viper, and God kept him from being killed by the poison. You and I today, as children of God, are safe and secure in the hands of our Heavenly Father. When God wants your life to end, I don't mean to be morbid, but when God wants your life or my life to end, it will end. God gives, gives and takes. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't have to go from day to day worrying. I don't even have to go from day to day when, when, I'm, when I have a major health issue or you have a major health issue or, or this or that. No, I'm in God's hands. You're in God's hands. And no harm can come to you. Unless God allows it, and if it God allows it, it's not to harm us. It's to help us, to bring us to a place where he wants us to be closer to him. I just want to give you quickly five things, five things. We're, we're moving through this, but I need to stop here. How can we shake off the snakes of adversity? How do we shake off the snakes of adversity? You may not have a viper hanging from your arm. I don't see anybody with a viper hanging from their arm today. But you probably, you might have a viper uh, in a viper of adversity in your life even now. Number one, how do we shake off the, the snakes of adversity? Number one, trust God's word. Trust God's word. In trusting God's word, I'm reading it. In trusting God's word, I'm meditating on it. In trusting God's word, I'm memorizing it. In trusting God's word, I'm applying it to my life. I'm living it. I don't want to fret. I'm not going to fret about it. Fret not thyself, the Bible says. When, when, it, when a viper comes of adversity, trust God's word. Number two, keep moving forward by faith. Keep moving forward. Hey, what does that mean? Keep doing what you know God wants you to do. You know what? Again, if we would practice the things that we know already from this book, boy, our, spirit, our Christian growth would be helped immensely. I'm speaking to myself and I'm speaking to you that we really, I mean, yes, we need to continue to study, but we also need to apply. Apply what we know. And how far down the road could we be? So, number one, trust God's word. Number two, keep moving forward by, keep moving forward by faith. Number three, serve someone else. You know, the, you know the best way to get your mind off of your viper is to serve somebody else. You know, the best way to get your mind off of your adversity is to, you know, serve someone. You know, uh, I'm not going to name names, but because uh, I don't want to get I don't want to give anything. I just want to give glory to the Lord. But somebody gave me a, a special gift bag uh, the other night. They gave me a special gift bag for someone and they wanted to be an encouragement to them. And they gave me a gift bag and they said, hey, could you give this to so and so? And I, I didn't really look down through it, but you could just see there was some things in there just a way of being kind. And I happen to know that this individual has gone through quite a bit of adversity over the last little bit of time. And yet this individual thought of someone else. You see, that's the ticket. Don't let adversity overwhelm our minds to the point that we don't think about anybody else or anything else except little old me 
or big old me, okay? Whatever it is, all right? No, serve others. It's amazing what doing, and this is what Paul was doing. I'm not saying this, I'm not trying to necessarily take it out. This is what Paul was doing in the shipwreck. He's serving others by getting those sticks. So number three, serve others. Number four, trust God's protection. Trust God's protection. We've kind of mentioned that already. God is able to keep us. God is able to, to take care of us. He is, he, is, uh, he is our all in all. He is omnipotent. He's all powerful. And number five, remember God is in control. God is in control. God has this. How can we shake off the snakes of adversity? Trust God's word. Keep moving forward by faith. Serve others. Trust God's protection. Remember, God is in control. It doesn't matter if it's a viper of Acts 28 that should have killed him on the spot. No harm came to him. It doesn't matter if it's the worst news you've ever heard in your life. God can take that and work it together for good. Romans 8, 28. I don't think that verse can be overused. But then we see one more thing in our text. We see the healing of Publius' father. The ministry continues. Look at verse 7. In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island. His name was Publius. He was a representative of Rome. On this island, that's, he's called the chief man of the island. We see that. Who received us and lodged us three days courteously. And it came to pass that the father of Publius lay sick of a fever and of a bloody flux. Now, I don't mean to go into too much detail about what a bloody flux is, because I don't think it would really help you this morning, but it's a bowel ailment, something like dysentery. And um, they believe that a lot of it came from the goat milk that was on this particular, the goats that were on this particular island that would cause this, they call it now Malta fever, Malta fever, but he had a bloody flux, it wasn't any fun, and it was deadly. To whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him, healed him. So when this was done, others also, which had the diseases in the island, which had diseases, excuse me, in the island, came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors. And when we departed, they laded us with such things as were necessary. I mean, just think about this journey. As far as we know, they've hit the island on verse 1, and the Bible says that this would seem like all of verses 1 through 6 were all in the same time, one day, part of a day. And then verse 7 says that they stayed three days. So from what we can see, they're only, they've only been on the island for a little over half a week. And in half a week's time, they have witnessed this unbelievable event of a guy getting bit by a viper who survives it. They have, they have witnessed 267 people get washed ashore from, an, from really a, 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 a shipwreck that should have killed all of them. 
And now Paul is in the, uh, the chief man of the island. He's in his home. He's in his home for only three days. And within three days' time, he heals his father of this bloody flux. And word begins to... And I'm telling you, word is spreading all over town. It's not a very big island. I can't remember the dimensions off the top of my head, but I had read that earlier. Not a very big island, but all the news is spreading. And they're coming to see this guy who does miracles. Paul. Notice it says here, verse 9, others also. Others also. How did this happen? How was Paul able to do this? This was a gift that God gave. It was a temporary gift that God gave. Much like speaking in tongues was a temporary gift that God gave. We see that in Acts chapter number 2. They were sign gifts. They were sign gifts. And this was a gift that Paul had that he was exercising as a gift of an apostle. They were temporary. Now, who healed this man? Paul or God? Well, we know who healed this man. God healed him. Because God is the one who heals. God is the Jehovah Rapha of today. God is the great healer. Yet, Uh, Here's a quote, God healed this man, yet it happened through the willingness and activity of Paul. God did the work. But Paul made himself ready and available for the work. Now, how does that apply to us today? It doesn't mean that I'm supposed to go and, and, and heal Brother Moises. That's not what I believe God is teaching me from this. God is teaching me that I can't heal or I can't save anyone. Paul couldn't heal anyone. God can heal people through Paul. And I can't save anyone today. There are lost people in this world. But you know what I can be? I can be available from, with God's power and with the Holy Spirit's leading. I can be available to be that voice for God. to Give someone the gospel. To speak someone the truth. To give someone uh, the good news. So I can be available. I never say, I've never saved anyone. You've never saved anyone. But might we be available? Might we? And think about this. Think about Paul. He's probably still just, he's just getting dried out from the storm. He's dry, but I mean, just saying, just in a few days, what's happened in his life, and yet he's concerned about someone else. Again, that compassion, that availability. Why were these sign gifts given? They were given to confirm the message of the gospel. And I was reading about this particular island of Malta, it's not in our Bible, so I'm not saying it as Bible truth. I'm saying it as a tradition. But tradition tells us that a church would be established on this island. And you think that Paul, while he's there, and by the way, Paul is there for, I believe it's three months. Yeah, look at verse 11. We didn't read verse 11. And after three months, we departed in a ship. So they obviously had to get a new ship, right? The other one is, you know, no more. So what do you think? Okay, knowing the Apostle Paul, knowing his, his testimony, knowing his uh, modus operandi, so to speak, what do you think Paul was doing? Sitting in Publius's house every day drinking coffee all day? I don't think so. I think Paul was out there witnessing all over the island. I think Paul was preaching the gospel. Everywhere Paul went, Paul preached the gospel. Some people even say that quite possibly Publius would be the pastor of that church. Again, it's not, I'm not saying that we have a chapter and verse for that. It's 
just some other reading I was doing about this. A church would be started quite possibly with even these shipwrecked convicts. We don't read. We don't read that everyone is moving forward. I mean, some of them may have been able to stay there, as well as the barbarous people of Melita. You see, in this particular event of Scripture are miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. This was thousands of years ago, thousands of miles from here. And yet, we know that our God is more than capable of doing miracle after miracle after miracle. God is not limited by my lack of strength. God is not limited by our lack of resources. He is limited by our faith. You know, the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For we must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. The God of Acts 28, the miracle-working God of Acts 28, is your God. If you're saved, He's your God today. The miracle-working God of Acts 28 is our all-powerful God today. And the only thing that is limiting the God in my life is my lack of faith. And He'll even give me that if I ask for it. As the disciples asked the Lord, increase my faith. Increase our faith. I trust that God is, right now, even in this moment, I trust that God is, through this text, through His Word, showing us once again that adversity is no, no reason to, to stop. Adversity is just another opportunity for us to see the miracle working hand. The miracles on Melita, the miracles on Malta, can be the miracles in Burnaby. can be the miracles in New Westminster. can be the miracles in Coquitlam can be the miracles all over this province and all over this great country of Canada. Our God is still doing miracles. Let's trust Him. Let's ask for greater faith. And let's not be distracted by vipers. Because they're out there. We know that God is not allowing them to do what they do for our harm, but to help us. And you know what? It re- it, we recognize how great we need God in this challenge.